0: Hi, I'm Charles Legg, compiler of the Daily Mail's long-running Answers to Correspondence page. Here we answer all the weird and wonderful questions sent in by our readers. In this podcast, I'm going to answer your questions on everything from entertainment to history, from science to sport, from the sensible to the surreal, all with the help of the Daily Mail's top experts. Now. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google and Spotify and leave us a review. This week, I'm joined by the Daily Mail's film critic, Brian Viner, and we'll be answering your questions about the biggest icon in cinema, 007, James Bond. So Brian, who's your favourite Bond?
1: (sighs) Oh, such a difficult question really, because, you know, I love... Sean Connery, but I, you know, I I also love Roger Moore. I think probably like a lot of people, I thought Timothy Dalton's little tenure as Bond was slightly disappointing. It kind of seemed to leech the humor out of Bond. Uh, and Daniel Craig is fantastic in his in his own way, but I have to say, and uh, and, uh, and I am kind of wedded to those Connery films, but I have a sort of a soft spot for George Lazenby, who only played Bond once.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. and I think that's because. I think, like, as with music, as with all kinds of things in life, you know, you're, you're very fond of what you got to know as a child. And I think that was probably the first Bond film I ever saw in the cinema. I can remember which cinema, in the seaside town of Southport. Uh, it was on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Lazenby had never even acted before. He was a, he was a model. He'd been in commercials. And he was a bit wooden, and he, he didn't really make the most of Bond. In fact, he resigned after, uh, after making that film. Uh, in a sort of fit of pique, which was a bit ridiculous, but he was—I just loved the movie, and I and I've watched it again, and it's you know it's a bit clunky now, but it's it's still great. And so I wouldn't say he's exactly my favourite Bond, but I've got a real soft spot for him.
0: No, I understand that, and I've got the same Roger Moore because most people think he's a bit of a dipstick and a bit a bit clumsy, but in fact he was brought a real humour to Bond. I know Ian Fleming wasn't looking for that in the first place, yeah. But uh, you know, I, as a kid, I, I just thought he was hilarious. And he was a real gentleman of a bloke too. Yeah, I've, I've done a number of answers with him in the past, and he was always very, very helpful.
1: I never met um, him, but he he um, he always came over very, very well. And I and I agree with you. He brought, you know, he was a great person. If we take out the little Lazenby, uh, that one-off film, but he effectively succeeded Connery. And I, and he was, you know, he brought that that humour, that kind of arched eyebrow, and the you know he took it all he got the sense that he wasn't taking it very seriously and he, he was great as well
0: yeah. and he was in his 40s wasn't he
1: when he took on the role I, I think, think he was, he'd kind of played Bond before in the sense that he'd, yep. you know, he'd been Simon Templar in The Saint and he'd, be, and he'd been Lord Brett Sinclair in The Persuaders which I'm sure is before your time but it was, uh, it was an iconic TV programme of the sort of early to mid 70s and they were both kind of James Bond in all but name really so he was, he was used to it <music>
0: Okay, I'm going to get into the questions now. Phil from Farnborough asks, was Barry Nelson the first James Bond?
1: Right, yeah, well, I happen to know that he was, uh, or at least I think he was. He was an American actor, and in 19... I think 1953 or 4, CBS bought the rights to Casino Royale. At the time, Ian Fleming wasn't a well-known author in America. In fact, he didn't didn't become well-known until the early 60s when John F. Kennedy, then president, said that I think From Russia With Love was one of his favourite books, and so suddenly America went was a gog. You know, who was this Ian Fleming? And he became suddenly very, very popular. His books were um, you know, hugely popular from then on. Um, but in 1954, when CBS made a television version of Casino Royale, just a one-off feature, yes, he was played as an American by an actor called Barry Nelson.
0: Yeah, he was an American CIA agent called Jimmy Bond.
1: I mean, that's you know, that's en- enough to make you splurse it, out your vodka martini. It, isn't it? is. You you are, imagine Jimmy.
0: Jimmy Bond. <laughs> your hair stands on. And Felix Leiter was a British agent called Clarence Leiter. Oh well, they isn't
1: got it completely wrong.
0: Completely wrong, yeah, but yeah. quite nicely. I, I quite like that twist of Clarence. Yeah. A little fact for you, James Bond was also played in the 50s by blockbusters Bob Holness. I knew that. I I knew knew that. that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a wonderful kind of pub trivia, isn't it? Pub quiz trivia.
0: Sadly, unlike the Barry Nelson version, the Bob Holness uh, radio recording of Moonraker... no longer exists
1: it was a south african recording south african recording that's right yeah was he south african i suppose he probably was yeah i I just i never knew that but uh, i was a big blockbuster fan back in the day so was uh, i that's school, yeah we'd we'd all tune in yeah exactly (laughs) yeah yeah
0: but not not your archetypal bond
1: so he was almost so bob holmes was almost because that was 56 i think that radio recording Uh, So Barry Nelson just beat him to it. Otherwise, it would be an even better trivia question that Bob Holness was the first James Bond. I would. Yeah. Yes,
0: the second, the first radio Bond. Yeah. Clive from Chigwell asked, has James Bond always preferred his drinks shaken, not stirred? Now, do you do you know precisely what a vodka martini is comprised of, Brian?
1: I'm a sh- slightly ashamed to say that I, I I I couldn't. I'm not sure I could talk you through all the ingredients. So
0: you haven't yeah, drunk it. Yeah. Well, there aren't many yeah, actually. Right. It's one Gym. part sweet vermouth. Yeah. And then well it depends. You're either if it's a vodka martini. Yeah. It's a bit of a debate this actually whether it should be five parts gin or five parts vodka. Right. Either way it's absolutely lethal. It's
1: not five parts of both. No. <laughs> Maybe we should go off and have one afterwards. Well
0: one. we we could we yeah. could try that certainly. I have yeah. tried them and it's the, it's like the slight old Billy Connolly sketch it gets you from the legs up. Yeah. When you get <laughs> off the off the stool. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. Bond has always preferred his vodka martinis shaken not stirred. Yeah. Though in the film version of You Only Live Twice He does drink a stirred cocktail. After his introduction to the British Secret Service agent, Dicko Henderson, played by Charles Gray, he mixes him a vodka martini and hands it to Bond, saying, that's stirred, not shaken. That was right, wasn't it? Bond wryly replies, perfect, cheers. (laughs) After taking a sip, 007 compliments Henderson's choice of alcohol, Russian vodka, well done. It's interesting to note that purists of the vodka martini suggest actually stirred is the better drink. Right. So we are going to have to have one after this. To, yeah, it was to certainly have to test it. it yeah. yeah.
1: But it's very interesting that you, you talk about that film because Dicky Henderson was, as you say, played by Charles Gray. But Charles Gray then played Blofeld in Diamonds Are Forever, didn't he? So very solid British actor, character actor. But he popped up again as, as Blofeld in the, I think well, probably the next <laughs> Bond film, actually. So why they decided to do that, I don't know. In I think th- we,
0: we might touch on Charles Gray again because we've got a question about Dennis Wheatley, whose whose classic movie was, of course, The Devil Rides Out. Yes. Which I think was presided over by uh, the Devil Worshiper, Charles Gray. As you Grey. say, a very solid. Yeah.
1: Actor. If we can just stick with drinks for for a minute, though, because but in the in the books, as far as I'm aware, Bond was really a champagne drinker. I think Bollinger and and Dom Perignon. Tatinger, you know, all those great marks of champagne. And he drank, he also drank wine. He drank, we were really only used to seeing him drinking his, his famous shaken, not stirred martinis. He, and there, there are a couple, at least a couple of films where his knowledge of wine is sort of written into the script. There was a, a moment in From Russia With Love where a British agent, or somebody posing as a British agent, orders red wine with his fish, and Bond immediately knew that nobody who was a, a, a genuine bona fide British agent could do something as terribly unfashionable and uh, plain socially wrong as order red wine with fish. And so he recognised that he was obviously not a British agent and had to be a, a, a smirch assassin. There's another moment in Diamonds Are Forever when I think a, a sommelier comes along and um, and doesn't seem to know that that Bordeaux is also claret. Uh, And so, again, he's obviously a smirch assassin. Uh, (laughs) So Bond's winesmanship came to the fore.
0: Well, his winesmanship might be good, but we're not too sure about his uh, vodka drinking because purists believe that shaken martinis are inferior to the stirred martini because if you shake up a martini, they say it bruises the gin or vodka mix, making the drink taste too sharp. And a shaken martini completely dissolves the vermouth, giving a less oily feel to the drink. Scientists from the Royal Society of Chemistry recently argued that there may be some merit in Bond's method because the broken ice crystals give a greater surface area in contact with the alcohol, giving a heightened sensation in the mouth. So there we go.
1: I'll have to take your word for that. Take my word for that.
0: (laughs) We've got a question from Ella from Basingstoke. She asked, did Erno Goldfinger have anything to do with Ian Fleming's Bond villain? Now, Erno Goldfinger was a man of many paradoxes. He was an architect very famous architect the son of a wealthy lawyer and the grandson of the vice president of a bank yet he was a lifelong marxist despite his politics in later life he craved a knighthood he was notorious for bullying his staff and clients yet was remembered for his great generosity by others a rampant egomaniac yet he asked to be cremated and had no gravestone in an attempt to solve the housing shortage following world war ii Goldfinger rose to prominence as a proponent of the high-rise solution. Among his most notable buildings of the period were the 27-floor high Balfour Tower and the adjacent seven-storey Carradale House. These served as models for his classic 31-floor Trellick Tower in North Kensington, completed in 1972, which to many is a modernist classic, to others a brutalist monstrosity. These buildings, like much of Goldfinger's work, made extensive use of reinforced concrete and were sternly uncompromising in their design. So what do you think? Do you think Goldfinger was named after Erno Goldfinger?
1: Uh, oh, I, I think without the slightest doubt. Uh, Ian Fleming was very uh, very keen on naming his characters after people that he either knew or disliked for one reason or another. Um and he did it again and again and again. I mean, uh, you know, Miss Moneypenny was actually apparently named after a place, a M- Moneypenny Farm in Kent. I think there's not the slightest doubt that Goldfinger in the, uh, in the book and then the movie was named after Erno Goldfinger, as you say, a Hungarian-born modernist architect. And there's two schools of thought. One is that because Goldfinger designed a house in Hampstead which is a, a classic modernist, as you say, reinforced concrete house, which was hugely controversial at the time, is now is revered as a, as a great example of the species. But, it's a National Trust property um, now, I that? believe it is, I, so. I believe it is. But apparently Ian Fleming was one of those who was extremely opposed to it and tried to block the planning permission for it. And of course it went through and uh, everybody's very pleased that it did go through because it's now, uh, as I say, it's now revered. But um, this was apparently his little way of of taking revenge on Erno Goldfinger by having his his villain and one of the great bond villains, possibly my favorite bond villain auric Goldfinger. yeah what a great character and then there's another school of thought which says that he he knew a guy called John Blackwell who he was very friendly with this guy John Blackwell, whose cousin I think was married to Goldfinger and he' just heard the name and and so that's. I
0: think how he John Blackwell was the golf pro, wasn't he and, and doesn't the golf pro? Um, connection in, in Goldfinger come from
1: there. There's a there's a golf pro in Goldfinger because Fleming again was a very um keen golfer. No, I think the golf I think the golf pro is Albert Blacking, isn't it, On, in Goldfinger, and his and the pro down at Royal St George's he White, played was Albert Whiting. Albert Whiting, Whiting you're and right. Well done. In the well movie, done. he made it Albert Blacking. So that's another example of, of Fleming just having a bit of fun using people that he knew who all of whom would of course recognize themselves in the in the in the books and subsequently the movies so um but goldfinger the i'm talking about the the real goldfinger the architect was none too happy about having his name purloined and used uh, as as a villain and in fact sued i think uh, sued fleming or sued, sued the, the the publisher this is i suppose it would have been when the book came out not when the film was released.
0: Well, later. according to his biographer, Nigel Wharton, he did at least threaten to sue. He said, shall we sue? And it had, in fact, instructed his solicitors, Davenport, Lyons and Co., to look into the issue. And I think Cape at least covered the costs to prevent them from suing. Right. I think they bunged
1: him a bit of cash. S- settled out of court. Yeah, but yeah.
0: Settled out of court. But Fleming was absolutely livid. And I don't know right. if you know this. Uh, he'd asked um, Cape to insert a slip into the first edition changing um goldfinger's name to gold
1: prick really <laughs> well but they didn't of course they didn't change his name and thank goodness
0: no no i yeah, don't, yeah. God, I don't otherwise, think otherwise
1: what shirley bassey's great song would be, yeah, very, it, different it indeed, would be very different it would be very different
0: it wouldn't quite re- <laughs> the scan as well would it <laughs> yeah
1: no i love those villainous names in in bond movies blofeld and scaramanga and because they were all named after people that, that ian fleming knew or uh, disliked you know and that was his revenge
0: how about um, Ursula Andress and Dr. No, the classic scene? She was Honeychild,
1: wasn't she? She was Honeychild. And again, I think and I talked about Money Penny Farm. Yeah. Uh, in a, in an area of Kent. Whether it's still there or not, I don't know. But Honeychild Farm, or Honeychild Manor Farm, I think it might be called, or was called, is in the same area, and Fleming was devoted to that part of the world. Uh, and so yes, immortalised the uh, the name of the farm in the in the very shapely character of Ursula Andress, who, again, one of the most iconic scenes in all Bond movies when she emerges from the sea, Honey Rider. Um, but she was her full name was Honey Child Honey Rider. Honey Child Rider. And actually, I can tell you one other thing about her, which is that the you know we all remember her singing that wonderful song, Underneath the mango tree, you know, that. But that song was actually recorded by Diana Coupland, who was a well-known sitcom actress she was in a, a sitcom called bless this house with sid james again before your time but sadly not before mine uh, in the sort of 70s and so it was diana coupland who sang that song in the movie and ursula andrus only pretended to sing it the reason being that diana coupland was married to the composer uh, monty norman so there's a bit of trivia.
0: Ah, a bit of trivia for me. Yeah. Another bit of trivia, according to his biography, apparently, unsurprisingly, the uh, Gold, Goldfinger family were plagued by hoax phone calls for years and years really? afterwards. Yeah. So there was a downside. Yeah. Perhaps he deserved his compensation.
1: Yeah. Yes, I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. I, I, I think other... In fact, I know somebody whose maiden name was Susie Scaramanga, and it emerged that her uncle George was the model for scaramanga the villain in uh, man with the golden gun played by christopher lee and so i asked wants once to tell me about this guy scaramanga whose name has been immortalized as one of the most dastardly of all of all bond villains he was an absolutely charming guy apparently in fact he was a he ended up as a country vicar in hampshire <laughs> and here he is you know with his name he didn't
0: have the discerning characteristic that uh, Scarab had. That Wagner. we don't know. No, well, you
1: can't, can't ask it of a vicar. I don't do think you could ask... A, a, no. Have you got a third nipple? No, no. No, definitely not.
0: So Ian from Chedworth asks, what is considered the most dangerous stunt to have been performed in a James Bond film? Now I have a particular soft spot for Live and Let Die, the voodoo extravaganza with Roger Moore. I don't know what your feelings are on this.
1: I love that film and I can remember seeing it for the first time. I saw it in Deal in Kent. I was on a sort of summer camp. Uh, and it must have been around about the time the, the film was first released, 73. And there's a fantastic scene in that film. And I and I the love the movie. It was my first glimpse of Roger Moore playing Bond. There's a great scene where he's kind of stranded, isn't he, in a lake. And his only way out is to step across the backs of a whole string of crocodiles. And the story goes that um, the crew were were looking for places to film in Jamaica and came across a crocodile farm run by a guy called Ross Kananga. That's correct. Am I right? You're very right. And this guy, Ross Kananga, so the crew stopped and said, actually, we'd quite like to have a look at, around your, your crocodile farm, could we... You know? Just
0: interject, he's yes. quite a character, Ross Kananga, and uh, had a signpost outside his crocodile farm saying, <laughs> trespassers will be eaten, <laughs> so yeah. they were brave to enter the his They're domain. Extremely
1: brave, and of course, you know, Bond nearly was eaten. but. Um, he, he, uh, he escaped by stepping across the backs of the crocodiles, uh, but of course it wasn't really Roger Moore. It was, in fact, the aforementioned Ross Kananga, the guy who, who owned the farm and who, who very bravely did it himself, although I gather it, it took quite a few takes. Uh, apparently it took five takes to be completed,
0: uh, and on the last one, a crocodile grabbed his heel, tearing his trousers. Director Guy Hamilton went on to name his villain Dr Kananga. That's right. A.K.A. Mr Big. That's right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Another great Bond villain. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, there have been a
0: few um, high profile accidents as well, sadly. All the stunts are, of course, dangerous. And while filming the high speed chase in the bobsleigh run for For Your Eyes Only in 1981, the four man bobsled hit a tree and one of its occupants, a young stuntman by the name of Paolo Regon was killed. And then, of course, your absolute other classic, which is another Roger Moore film, is The Man with the Golden Gun, and you had the uh, corkscrewing car. Do you recall that one? Yeah,
1: yeah, one of the great Bond stunts, where the car did a sort of 360-degree turn in mid-air. Yeah, extraordinary. A red
0: 1974 AMC Hornet X hatchback special coupe. That's a mouthful. Uh, Well,
1: I couldn't have have (laughs) named the car, but well done.
0: I've got it in front of me here. Ah. It was launched off a slanted ramp Caused it to corkscrew midair over a narrow river and then successfully land on the other side. The stunt was performed by the British stunt driver with a wonderful name, Bumps Willard, <laughs> in, a, in a single take. Ian from Birmingham asks Was James Bond based on Dennis Wheatley's character, Gregory Sallust?
1: Ah, well, I, I have heard that certainly. Dennis Wheatley, uh, who was who was a little bit older than Ian Fleming and had written uh, and, and brought out a book called, I think, wrote a book called *Contraband* in the 1930s. That's right. Uh, that was the first of a series of books, as I understand it, featuring a very debonair British spy called Gregory Sallust. Where he got that name from, I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, he he was a, he liked fast cars and fast women, um, and he was quite possibly the prototype for Bond. We don't know that for sure, but I think it, without any question at all, uh, Ian Fleming would have been familiar with those books of Dennis Wheatley's. So I think that quite possibly is where he got the idea Well, from.
0: there are close ties between the two men in that both served as strategists in MI6 during the war, I believe. John Lucario was another one, Somerset Maugham were all working for the British Secret Service at the time. right? And it seems very likely that they'd read Uh, each other's works and certainly i'm sure dennis weekly was already a a big name at the time
1: the actual name of james bond though came from supposedly came from a an american ornithologist which is rather marvelous that who wrote a book called birds of the west indies and ian fleming who had a house in jamaica saw this guy's book lying around one day and thought that would be the perfect name for my new spy so because it's sort of simple and unromantic and anglo-saxon so he called him james bond but the original, real-life James Bond wasn't a spy at all, he was an ornithologist. Uh, and there's a little nod to him in, in the Pierce Brosnan film, Die Another Day, because I think Bond himself picks up this book, Birds of the West Indies. So and that's oh, where the, that's where the actual name, James Bond, comes from.
0: So it's interesting, looking at the plot of Contraband, it could easily fit into a Bond story. We have the debonair adventurer, he reports to the Secret Service, he's given a mission to stop a villainous plot, with international implications. He races through glamorous casinos and hotels, home and abroad, using his wits and firearms against assorted henchmen until he's drugged and captured by a wealthy, deformed villain who tortures him. (laughs) so it's, it's all there you've isn't
1: described it? just about every single James it, Bond film exactly yeah. I mean
0: maybe yeah. that's not an original plot and no. it, it doesn't need to be I think the strength of Ian Fleming if just,
1: if, just think if, if Dennis Wheatley had come up with the name James Bond and Ian Fleming had come up with the name Gregory Sallust
0: it's a good point then we point.
1: might be talking about Gregory Wheatley's Sallust
0: doesn't really fly no does it?
1: it doesn't not in my book
0: but we do, we, we do have uh, Dennis Wheatley to thank for The Devil Rides Out which is a, that's true a wonderful movie yeah Sadly, I think that's all we've got time for now. So it just leaves me to say thank you ever so much, Brian, for coming in and sharing your extensive bond knowledge with us.
1: My great pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: That's all we've got time for this week. But I'll be back with you and another expert guest in two weeks' time. Don't forget, you'll be able to listen back to this and all our other MailPlus podcasts at MailPlus.co.uk or via Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening.